Welcome to the Sports Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Lure. I'm excited to have a fellow sports marketing veteran with me on the line here today, calling in from Hong Kong, Mr. Patrick Murphy. Welcome to the podcast, Patrick. Marcus, lovely to speak to you. Uh, great pleasure to be on the podcast. Looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, this is going to be a fun hour here. Um, we're going to dig really deep, not just in the amazing things you've done in your career already, which spans almost 30 years, um, but of course, we're going to spend a good time on what you're doing right now. And uh, let me just quickly give you, give everyone a background on yourself who might not know you, uh, which won't be many. But uh, you spent basically the first 10, uh, sort of 10 years of your career in the world of television, ITV, Fox, ESPN, just to name a few. Um, then you spent a good 12 years with team marketing, which obviously uh, promotes and markets the uh, Champions League rides, UEFA Champions League ride in Europe. Uh, and we're going to definitely touch on that and how that relates to what you're doing now. Um, then you went a bit on your own into into um, into your own ag agency world with Catalyst and Synergy. Again, certain folks would recognize Catalyst, of course, as the International Champions Cup uh, owner. Um, we're going to have some fun there. And now you are the CEO of FMA, or the long form is that for Football Marketing Asia, um, or others might still recognize it as DDMC Fortis. So we're going to work ourselves toward that last part. Um, um, but we'd always start off really how it started at the beginning and and so i would sort of say um how does uh, a kid from dublin take over asian football but how do you really got into the world of sports first or into i guess media initially with itv and then others please start there yeah i mean um it started off um after school selling uh, junk mail advertising door to door uh in dublin um after i finished school myself and a couple of friends set up a company um, with this concept that was new at the time. This is back in 1984, 85, right. called Junk Mail, which one of our older brothers brought back the concepts from the States. Okay. And uh, yeah, we, we set up, I set up my first company, I think I was 18 or 19, um, going door to door in Dublin, um, selling this junk mail opportunities and then printing up all this junk mail material and delivering it to, to households around Dublin. And And uh, yeah, selling that advertising, which was a fantastic ex experience because really it, it, it taught me how to sell and how to do it on, on a door-to-door -door basis, which is the most typical yes. selling that there is. Um, but um, we, you know, I quickly learned that my friends, uh, my, that most of my friends were having a wonderful time in college, um, enjoying five months off every summer and going to the States, uh, working in bars and stuff like that. And that seemed a much more attractive life. So I quickly... Um, went back to college, if you like, or went to college and studied studied marketing in Dublin, mm -hmm. um, which was also a wonderful experience. And um, I was very fortunate while I was at college to also be able to work for Guinnesses, the famous Irish beer brand. Right. Um, they had um, they had what they called a college representative in each of the universities, and I was the uh, the rep in in Dublin, and uh, it meant that I was able to uh, get my first introduction to the sponsorship business because basically my job was to go and sponsor uh, different uh, sports and entertainment fraternities in the in the university. And oh, right. uh, of course, I was very popular because I had all this free Guinness to give out. And, <laughs> uh, but in all seriousness, it was it was great because it gave me my first taste of being a promoter, uh, which is really what I've, I've, I've I always really enjoyed doing is promoting events and putting on uh, events, uh, big events, the bigger, the better. Um, and that was really where where I started. I love this. Uh, what a great story. And, and it's actually, I recently posted something on LinkedIn um, about how many millionaires or billionaires have started their first job in sales. And, and you sort of, you know, just talked about it. Sales is such an amazing space to play, to obviously start and learn the, the, the real world very quickly. There's, I love that as an awesome, awesome start. Um, now, let's talk a bit about your first decade in the world of television. Um, and maybe we'll skip a bit over ITV which, uh, and sort of just jump a bit into the Eurasian part here, right? Um, so you spent several years, uh, you, you came pretty much uh, to Hong Kong there in the sort of early 90s, I think 93 here, what I can see, uh, with News Corp. How do you get from ITV to News Corp Hong Kong? How does that work? 
Yeah, that was interesting. I mean, basically, um, I was doing um, commercial work at ITV, uh, firstly at Thames TV in London and then at UTV in Belfast. Basically, commercial work, meaning program sales, video sales through essentially program financing. You know, that I was in that in that business. Mm. And a person that I guy I was working for who had actually hired me at UTV um, had turned out to be one of the senior um, executives at Richard Lee's Star TV in Hong Kong. And it was actually run managed by a guy called Julian Manter, who is a a guy who was, uh, you know, British executive. But one of his guys was somebody who I'd worked for at ITV. And I had fallen in love with Asia uh, just on a personal basis through travels that I'd made out uh, over the previous few years. I wanted to work out there. I wanted to work out here. And basically, when Morris got this job at Star TV, he helped me to also get a job at Star TV. And I was delighted to leave ITV and, and make this big move into 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 coming out to Asia. Mm. And I went out and celebrated heavily, as you do in Ireland, uh, as young <laughs> Irish guys do. And the next day I went and bought the newspaper and I opened the newspaper and in the business section staring out in front of me was Rupert Murdoch buys Star TV. Um, mm. And I was like, oh, my God, I've literally just signed a contract with these guys. What the hell? So I called the, I called the guys in Hong Kong. I said, look, should I still come out? Because obviously things are going to be difficult, I'm sure. And they said, well, it's completely up to you. I mean, you've signed a contract. If you want to come out, come out. So I went out. And to cut a long story short, um, you know, obviously when, when a company is taken over, there's a big change in, in management and change in culture. And I was just very fortunate that because I hadn't really worked at Star TV before, that the news guys sort of took me under their wing when they came in. Mm. And um, yeah, I was extremely lucky because I worked under some of the most amazing um far-seeing and now kind of in you know famous guys in in in, in the basically in the tv industry uh, i worked under them at star tv in in the 90s yeah very cool and and you know what i wouldn't be surprised that we maybe bumped into each other around that time i came about a year after you so i landed there in the in the, in the later part of 94 um, and spent a couple of years up in Hong Kong too. Um, and that's obviously also what I said earlier, links to the AFC later because the company I was working for had the rights at that time. So um, who knows, maybe we ended up in some bar together and we just don't remember that anymore. So. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably a few things we don't remember about that time yeah, actually. That, yeah, the 90s in Asia were fun. Yeah, that's right. But you know, the thing, the thing that was incredible about it was that obviously sports was in, was really important to Murdoch. You know, it was it was really movies and sport. They were the two drivers for pay TV. Right. And when he came out and his his executives came out, and I'm talking about people like Sam Chisholm and of course Gary Davy, who, yes. who ran Star for many years. You know, they 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 basically looked at the environment, or actually. Very luckily for me, they asked me to look at the environment, and I did a big study of, of the environment in Asia. And basically, what we saw was that there was no or very little regulation. You know, it was it was basically possible for a media owner to to not just have a broadcasting business, but also to own clubs, to invest in federations, to basically create their events. Yeah. And these guys were coming from highly regulated environments in the UK, Australia, and, and the states. So mm-hmm. very very quickly, they said, "Okay, we've got to put a." you know, a big sports policy together. The sports policy needs to involve, of course, our broadcast channels, you know, mm-hmm. and they changed over time from prime sports to star sports. And then, of course, became ESPN That's and good. Fox later on. Yeah. Um, but we also need to invest in in creating and acquiring our own events, you know, and so we should set up a company and um, that basically does that, and that's that's the company that that um, Gary Davy asked me to set up, and that 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 was Sports Corporation. Uh, which was uh, basically what I was focused on working for for six or seven years in Asia. Yeah, and and I know many of the the colleagues and and guys you work with, Tim Holland and and others, of course, over the years there. Um, But let's, before we jump further, you know, let's give our our listeners a sense of the type of events you guys were running because you you guys were doing everything from the Asian X Games, right, taking over um, the the X Games uh, mark, I guess, from the US, uh, bring it in. And, and at that time, it was already ESPN Star Sports. So you can see that you were involved, of course, mm-hmm. in, in football was, you know, from Tiger Fives to, uh, you know, standard chartered marathons, and you name it. I mean, what was this? Was there a strategy or just like grab everything and let's see what works? No, there was, there was definitely a strategy. I mean, the, the first, and it was very much coming from the broadcast point of view, right? right. So basically, the channels were acquiring. Um, the big international content like Wimbledon and Formula One, and they didn't need us to, to help them in, in that respect at all, okay? Yep. 
There was also then, which um, I don't think was very well known. I'm sure you, you know about it, but there was also a relationship between ourselves and uh, Asia Sport, and there was actually an investment, a significant investment in Asia Sport made around that time. Okay. Um, and 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 certainly there was a supply of the regional football that was coming through the Asia Sport group through Seamus and um, and also the basketball and of course the Asian Golf Tour. Okay, so the regional local sports were essentially provided for through that relationship. Okay, right. so really what 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 we needed to focus on or what was missing was to focus on certain markets um, where news wasn't uh, wasn't particularly strong and also where there weren't necessarily a lot of content coming from and of course at the beginning of star at the beginning of Murdoch's relationship with star TV it was China was incredibly important so a lot of our early work was actually focused on on greater China and then India became very important which is why we we, we went into cricket and then of course Southeast Asia was that was was the other piece so that's why we did a lot of the, uh, the events there but really what it was was to as I say the mandate was to acquire uh, events but more importantly to create and to develop our own IP wherever we possibly could. Yeah, that was uh, that was some fun times there. Um, <laughs> yeah, certainly, it definitely was. Now, interesting enough, then you sort of almost did a complete reversal here, uh, pretty much right after this. Um, I would say skipping a bit over uh, one more other role you had in between there, but you then landed uh, back in. Oh, no, not so much back, but you landed in Switzerland with Team. Um, again, big significant move, of course, for yourself, uh, working with one of the premier companies there um, and one of the, of course, clearly one of the biggest sports properties on the planet. Um, and you spent a good, you know, almost 12 years there. So let's let's dig into this a bit quickly. How do you get from Hong Kong back to Switzerland all of a sudden or into into your back to Europe? Um, well, I think um, I would I'd, in the interim, I'd got married to a, um, a girl from Hong Kong. We'd had a child. Uh, my daughter, Joyce, was born in, in Singapore in, in 99. I think we both felt that we wanted to to take a break from Asia, actually, to, mm -hmm. to raise our, our daughter and our subsequent subsequently uh, our other other child. Um, and so we wanted to go. So we didn't really know where we were going to go. We actually were considering to go to Australia. But I did apply for some jobs in Europe. And then very fortunately, as it turned out, um, I, I managed to get a job at Team Marketing. Um, and, you know, Team was a, a really um, incredible experience for me in, in terms of my career and my life. Um, it's a, you know, it was a very, very, very different experience to anything that I'd I've been involved in before because I kind of went from Asia where things were, you know, things moved quickly, where, you know, we were working a lot of different markets. Um, I was working for an organization like News, which was highly entrepreneurial. Things were changing, you know, pretty much by the month, um, you know, into into team. And team is a very, very, those who know it know it, that it's a very, very structured a very well-managed organization, you know? And so I would say that I learned an enormous amount uh, working with team marketing, especially in the first few years, you know? Yeah, I mean, you came in as a director of sponsorship sales, and by the time you left, you not just were a member of the board, but also you were the managing director of sales. So again, your whole career there, um, or those you know, 12 years were in sales, um, and I'm assuming it was both media rights and, of course, initially sponsorship. Uh, you know, let's talk a bit about that. I mean, because it was also, you know, this is we're now in in the early uh, 2000 here, right, where clearly pay TV globally was exploding um, across the world. Um, and that was all fueling, you know, the drive and, and, and these huge new dollars coming in there. And, and so it was a fun time. I've, you know, had Phil Lyons and others on the call before um, who also, you know, went through those periods, of course. And, and partially we were all maybe lucky, you know, and similar to TSA as an own agency, you know, that what was happening around the world uh, and we were able to take advantage of it. So but so how do you, you know. You know, what was your role there? And, um, you know, talk, talk a bit about some of the more fun stories of uh, some of the big deals you guys did, uh, you know, because it's, we're talking billions here, you know. Um, so you're, you're familiar with the, with the B word there. And uh, we'll get to that later when we talk about the money you guys are, you know, putting up here now. Yeah, I mean, I, that's I, that's an interesting. Uh, there's a few interesting things there in what, what you just said. I mean, the, the first one is is the billion, right? That was something that I had never 
um, really understood or experienced in the context of sports marketing before. You know, coming from Asia, coming from sports corporation, um, you know, we were doing some some very big deals, but they were always in the kind of hundreds of thousands, you know, maybe a million, maybe a few million for a big sponsorship deal. Yep. Um, if things got really wild and crazy, you know, the rights fees for, for the cricket in India might go up to 10 million, you know, something like that. Mm. Um, and all of a sudden I found myself in Switzerland um, sitting on a project which was, you know, literally, um, it was certainly over a billion um, at that stage. And yeah. sub- subsequently it's gone up um, to multiple billions per annum. Per annum. Right. Um, so yeah, that was a, a shock. It was definitely a shock. I mean, it was a kind of a nice shock, but it was a shock. Mm. Um, the other thing that was, was interesting that you, that you mentioned was again, the sales thing, the thing that we started off at the beginning of our conversation. You know, Team was an incredibly successful organization um, and an incredibly successful sports marketing agency. But what was really amazing about that particular time that I joined was that there were very few salespeople in the organization. Um, right. And yeah, the reason for that was because the founders, um, Jurgen Lenz and, and Klaus Hempel, were, you know, kind of famous sales guys. And, and they had, um, with, the, with the management team underneath, immediately underneath, had really built this incredible property throughout the 90s mm. off the back of, and primarily the, the the evolution from public television to commercial television, right? That was yes. the first the first move, and that was very much the 90s. And then, as you say, there was a big escalation um, in the at the beginning of the noughties with with pay television. But but for various reasons to do with the organisation, there weren't that many sales guys. So when I joined, I, I kind of found myself in a fortunate position that I was one of the few salespeople in the organization okay. and I was able to kind of jump in and 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 um, and really get stuck in. Now, the other thing was, of course, that the Champions League sponsorship program was so strong, fundamentally so strong, mm. and of course so well managed by team and UEFA that team generally renewed. They generally renewed with their sponsors and, you know, they, they didn't actually – um, have to add that many new sponsors. And you may recall there was even an occasion where they went from having eight sponsors down to four. There was this right. famous moment where they had this less is more concept. And and as a result of that, they actually were, if you like, almost getting rid of sponsors, right? So, <laughs> that so, doesn't happen so very often. <laughs> that doesn't very happen very often. So I, basically I joined after that when, when, right, when okay. team had to look a little bit forward into the future. And I had, um, I had an amazing mentor there, a guy called Tom, uh, Tom Liston, who's still a very good friend of mine, and Tom taught me an awful lot, and um, and I worked very hard for Tom, and together I think we did some really wonderful work in in sponsorship in the early noughties. Um, and then I was extremely fortunate to be given an opportunity to move from sponsorship sales into media sales uh, within Team, which I I did I think in around 2005. And again, had an opportunity to work with um, with Simon Thomas, who is again one of my you know huge influence on my on my career, and and a wonderful guy. And Simon and I worked extremely closely together for for the next five or six years, selling the media rights. Mm. You know, it's I mean, now at that time was um, had UEFA already invested in Team and took a stake, or was that after? I can't remember exactly when that all happened. Yeah, I mean, I joined at a, I joined at a, at a, at a, at a, at a kind of a juncture in the in the UEFA team relationship, and um, you know, up until the time, roughly, that I had joined, um, you know, uh, you could say UEFA might have been more like a traditional federation or confederation, hmm. and team essentially acted as their, um, as 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 the person who, as the entity that ran all the commercial side of things. Right. When I around in around the time that I joined, UEFA was looking to sort of change that relationship and and make it more one where, you know, UEFA was the entity that that decided the strategy and and the structure of how things were done, and that team would then come in, of course, help them with that strategy, that commercial strategy, but would really um, execute it. Yeah? yeah, and of course, this this is quite a, an important change in the kind of relationship between the two the two entities. Mm. Um, so yes, when I joined, there was actually I joined in the middle um, of a tender process where Team had to actually um, reapply, if you like, for its mandate. Okay. Um, I think a lot of people at Team thought that I was kind of crazy joining months before that was had been clarified. Um, but um, it turned out that that Team won won the mandate, of course. But the relationship between UEFA and Team 
you know, did change quite a bit in those years. Um, and UEFA took a much firmer view um, uh, of, 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 of their role in, in, in the relationship, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I remember that. Um, and it's interesting, we'll maybe come back to it later. Clearly, I, I have no doubt that what you're doing now with FMA, um, you'll be leaning heavily on the, some of the experience with team um, and figuring out how to replicate that, I'm sure. But before mm. we get there, we got uh, one last uh, piece to cover here. And, and that's, of course, then, uh, you know, the years you spent here, really the last, I guess, uh, seven or eight years here now. Um, somewhat also um, as an entrepreneur, um, you know, you set up Catalyst um, and Synergy, um, very different organizations. Catalyst, again, I mentioned earlier, is the International Champions Cup uh, promoter or marketing agency there. And, and I'd definitely love to hear a bit about that because it's, you know, well-known. Um, it's a great tournament, a concept, I think, uh, globally. I'm not sure where, it, I don't think I believe it, I mean, nothing happened obviously this year, but uh um, there's a lot of things happening over those years, and uh, and there was synergy. We're doing, we're doing some interesting stuff in South America. Um, so let's get into you know the ICC, which is the other ICC outside of the cricket world here. Um, how did that idea come about? Um, because you know obviously these club tournaments and these uh, preseason or postseason tours have been around forever, but you guys are really you know took it to a whole another level there. Yeah, well, you know, they say success has has many fa fathers and failure has has none. You know, something like that. So I, I definitely wouldn't want to in any way claim that uh, the International Champions Cup was was my idea. In fact, it was an idea that that emerged um, in the states uh, between right. Stephen Ross, who's the American uh, real estate billionaire, and. Charlie Stilitano, um, who is uh, somebody who's worked in the American football business um, for, for, for 25, 30 years and is well known to many, many people in the industry. I mean, the concept for um, making the summer preseason period into a meaningful, um, interesting, entertaining um, platform was something that was really put together by Steve and Charlie with, of mm. course, help from from people like Matt Ro uh, Matt Higgins and other people at, at, at RC and Relevance in, in New York. Where I got involved in it was that I had finished up with team and I had taken a little bit of time off. I had decided that um, I, I wanted to go back to Asia. A lot of it was for personal reasons. My kids uh, were half Chinese, but they'd never spent a lot of time in Asia. We thought it'd be a good thing to come back. Obviously, a lot of opportunity lay here as well in terms of the, the growth in the advertising markets and the media markets. So we saw this as a really good place to, to come back and start a business. And mm -hmm. um, my first preference was that my first idea was actually to get quite involved in, in local Asian football. And, um, and we'll come back to that later on. But mm -hmm. but this opportunity came along um, through an introduction by a good friend and colleague of mine, Arnie Reese. Um, we started talking about uh, working together on this International Champions Cup program. And at the time, the ICC had had, I think, one or two seasons in the States. Um, yes. Basically, Steve's big idea, and it, it was a very, it, it sounds like an obvious idea, but it was actually quite a um, simple but, but beautiful idea. And that was instead of having um, the major international European clubs playing against local American sides, when they came over in the summer, yep. you know, why not have them play against each other? You yes. know, I mean, it's a very simple idea, but nobody had really thought about it. And and so, and of course, Steve had the financial resources to be able to make that happen. And mm -hmm. he had Charlie Stilitano, who had the relationship with the European clubs and also the organization, organizational uh, ability to deliver the matches in the States. So they had done a year or two. It had gone well, um, but they wanted to build it up further. Um, we met, um, you know, my experience, um, again, going back a little bit to the team times was my, my experience was really around, you know, again, what were the things that team were team and the UEFA Champions League were really famous for? Number one, creating a great brand, you know, yeah. and great brand marks. Number two, actually centralization, you know, the concept of centralizing rights as against right. having rights decentralized. Um, so, you know, traditionally clubs had played on a decentralized basis. They'd all organize their own matches. They'd play with this guy today, this guy tomorrow, this promoter over here, that promoter over there. Yeah. And so my experience was really, um, you know, in, in how the how the centralization of commercial rights added value. Two plus two equals five, not, not four, right? Mm -hmm. And so they were interested in that experience. And then, of course, very important, uh, very importantly, was the media platform and the fact that, 
you know, the real opportunity um, in premium football, you know, the real commercial opportunity is in building a media platform, generating uh, rights fees from broadcast and doing that in a, in a kind of, um, you know, a considered way. So, um, so basically we sat down, we talked about these ideas and we agreed to work together and, and Steve and Matt Higgins uh, helped me to set up Catalyst actually and they became a shareholder in Catalyst and we agreed that I would help them um, in two respects. The first was in building that international media platform and the second was, uh, very importantly, expanding the International Champions Cup into Asia. Okay, because the thing that one of the things that they were facing was that you know Real Madrid might be very happy to come and play for Charlie in New York and Los Angeles in uh, 2014, but in 2015 um, they wanted to go yeah, to, to, to Asia. Yeah, yeah. So basically, I was able to offer them the ability to organize on the ground in Asia, but in parallel with building the media uh, yeah. platform. That made total sense. And obviously you did several big events or, or tournaments in, in China. Now it's uh, Singapore has the rights. I'm not sure whether they still have it uh, at this moment in time. Uh, uh, are you still involved in it or you've kind of now moved on uh, since you are uh, obviously heavily associated now with FMA? FMA? Yeah, no, I'm I'm not involved in this. And um, you know, one of the things uh, we we can talk a little bit later when it comes to the the AFC project is that um, you know I, I I need to and I want to and I'm happy to work exclusively on that project. So that means that other other business areas I'm I'm not involved in. Um, but yeah, no, I mean we we organised matches in Australia. Actually, we had some hundred thousand uh, plus attendances at the um, the stadium in Melbourne, which was you know absolutely exhilarating. We organized multiple matches across different stadiums in China. Again, very very exciting. And uh, yes, uh, we did enter a, an agreement with the Singaporean government to stage the ICC in Singapore. Obviously, um, this year has been a strange year for everybody. Yeah. So. I I, uh, I I suspect that they've just taken a pause for this year and that they'll be back next year is what I what I expect. Yeah, awesome. Now, well, and I think anyone now where we're finally getting into the, uh, the 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 sort of meat of football Asia, football marketing Asia here, um, I think anyone can figure out why you're doing what you're doing and and why uh, again you found these partners in China. Um, to back you and, and uh, you know believe in what you've uh, what you what you can do here. So, but before we go into this, uh, I really need I want to make sure that our listeners, you know, especially from around the world, who are not as familiar as you and I are with AFC and Asian football, um, let's give them a sense of the scale of this thing here, right? Now, let me I'll give I'll throw a few uh, numbers out and then you know as I said we'll uh, you add to it. Uh, first of all, we're obviously talking about um, a very large region, pretty much starting up in Japan, going all the way to Australia. Australia and the Middle East, right? That's Asian football. 50 plus uh, federations are part of it. I believe it's the largest in the world in terms of, uh, you know, combined federation power. Um, we have, uh, as I said, the Asian Cup, which is the uh, the UEFA, you know, the, the Euro of, of, um, uh, of Asia. Um, as part of your program, uh, which is unique because you have both the national teams and then, of course, you have the club competition, which here in Asia is called the AFC Champions League. Uh, and then there's also a, another cup below that. Uh, you know, so we're dealing in a very large region. You know, what is it? Goes to four billion people probably. Um, very diverse. Uh, as I said, the northern Asian markets are very different than the South Asian, than the Indian subcontinent, and of course the Middle East. So uh, massive diversity. Um, you know, as as much as you can find anywhere on the planet. Um, and there is an amazing history there. But uh, before we get there, so what, how do you guys look at Asia, really? And, and I know in your deal, as far as I recall, is the Middle East isn't part of it. But you still, at the end of the day, the tournaments and everything you guys are running, of course, across, is across this massive continent here. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, the first thing I'd say is that obviously at a personal level, I'm, I'm extremely passionate about Asia. I've spent, um, you know, a, a good chunk of my adult life here. And as I say, my family my wife's from here. Uh, my kids are half, half Chinese, so I'm very, very passionate about the region, and I always, I always really have been. Um, and of course, the rights themselves are are rights that I have been very familiar with. And um, you know, for 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 all the time that I've spent out here, we talked about it earlier on in in the discussion. 
Um, you know, we've, we, we are very, very, very familiar with them. It was really a project that I always wanted to, 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 to have an opportunity to work on. Um, but the rights, the rights were, you know, they were tied up with, um, uh, Asia sports, uh, which okay. became world sports group, obviously okay. very, very tightly. And there was never an opportunity, became really for, <laughs> became, which became Lagodere. Yeah, of course. Um, there was never really an opportunity for for me to to be involved, um, and and really what happened was I think the rumors started emerging in the market. I can't remember exactly when, but it, it probably was sometime in early 2017 or 16, even that that the AFC were going to run a tender process to see if they would continue with Lagadere or if they were going to to enter a new agency relationship. And of course, right. the minute that that became clear, you know, my ears pricked up and I. I started thinking about how I could, um, how I could get involved in that, and, and with a view to trying to, to to become their new partner. Right. Yeah. And and again, uh, talk us a bit through how you then you know went about it because you know I read a bit about it, of course, already. Um, you know, and and maybe also introduce your partners a bit. You know, who is uh, um, DDMC? No, sorry, yeah, DDMC, right? Uh, you know, the Chinese uh, sports agency. Um, you know, there are public listed company in China. So again, maybe uh, anyone from China would know them better, but uh, the rest of the world probably doesn't know as much about them. Um, maybe explain a bit about these guys. Yeah, well, I'm very happy to do so. I mean, first of all, I think um, I felt confident. Um, first of all, I recognized that it was a very complex project. There's no question about that. If you look at the scale of the uh, footprint and if you look at the um, scope of the projects. You mentioned it before, all of the club competitions, all of the national team competitions, you know, running from uh, basically uh, Lebanon right across to Guam and Mongolia down to Australia. I mean, it's just a huge project. Mm. Um, but I, we felt, and I, I, when I say we, I'm talking about myself and my management team, my partners. I mean, we felt that um, if anybody had a chance to do it, and I'm, we may, I'm, I mean this in a, in, a, in a as modest way as I possibly can, if anybody <laughs> had a chance to do it, it was us. And, and that was because we had, the, we had the experience from team. We understood not just about selling media rights and selling sponsorship and, and developing commercial concepts and brands and all those things, but also very, very importantly, we understood about how you deliver um, those rights, those matches, on a continental basis. Um, one of the things that team was absolutely incredible as, I think most people would say agree, industry leading as, uh, was the commercial delivery at matches, at, at venues. And, and you know, team were, were used to running hundreds of matches every year and our, uh, we, our staff were, were used to doing that and we had all sorts of incredible um, concepts like dual roles where people might work as an account management for some of the time, but then would also go out and work with venues. So we had, we had, we had, uh, myself, my management team had a lot of experience in, in the execution of rights too, you know, and that was something, and that is something that's extremely particular to this project. Um, so, you know, we, we felt like we knew how to handle the commercial side, but we also had the experience at, at delivering, um, the competitions. Um, obviously, we'd, we'd also uh, run matches in China and stuff like that. We'd uh, and across Asia, so we had experience of that. So I think we felt that we had the experience to deliver it as a management team, and that we were able to put together a very strong agency. And I think we also felt that there were some ingredients that we were able to bring from the team UEFA relationship, the structural um, relationship that that could be very appealing to the AFC. And that might be somewhat unique to, to, to our offer. Right. And those included things like, you know, um, a desire, willingness, uh, offer to work with the AFC on an exclusive basis. In other words, not to be an agency that had other things mm. and that was were thinking about other businesses and other properties, because I think that's something that's really um you know, not always, but but often has had a had quite a negative impact for, for the rights holders. Um, and as I, as I say, um, you know, um, I think there's a lot of admiration at the AFC and rightly so for UEFA and for the way UEFA conducts itself and conducts its commercial programs. And obviously, myself and my management team had been part of that 
um, a loss, you know. Yep. So oh, I, um, I can see your pitch right there. <laughs> yeah, is so a, there was, it's an easy one to see. Absolutely. So that was that was part of it. So I, I'd say I think that was one one part of the pitch um, our experience and our willingness to bring that model, adapt that model, but to bring that model to, to the AFC. Yeah. But, you know, the second part, and of course, this is incredibly important, was the, was the, was the money, right? Yes. And, and the ability, to, yeah, and the ability to bring, you know, not just, to, not just guarantees, financial guarantees and, and, um, et cetera, but also, um, knowledge and understanding of, of, of probably the most important market in Asia commercially looking forward to the next 10 and 20 years and that's China you know it became very clear to me and I, I don't think I'm unique in in this and I certainly wouldn't claim to, to have any unique insights here but clearly China um, is is going to be an incredibly important market for football in general uh, and for the AFC in particular for the next 10 to 20 years so I knew that the solution had to be more than just you know my expertise, experience, expertise in my team, the the UEFA team model or elements of it. Mm. It had to also be it had to also encompass China. Yeah, and, and the money, and so and the money. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, and I think I've already gone on record somewhere saying that I believe, and I have, I'm not sure if I put a number to it, but in the next 20 years, that China could be the lar single largest football market in the world, meaning also having the potentially the biggest football league. Um, to me. Why would the Premier League continue dominating it in if China really takes it serious and puts the money behind it? Uh, everyone will be playing football there. That's my belief, but that's a different story. Um, yeah. Now, D, again, a uh, bit more about DDMC. Um, yeah, sorry, public, I'll go they're back to yeah, sorry, they're, No, no, that's all good. Uh, they're <laughs> public listed, and obviously they've done, uh, they did several other deals. Um, they acquired a company which had the Premier League rights, I believe, right, uh, for some substantial money. Um, they also have a couple other, I think, UEFA rights uh, with the Nations Cup, uh, Nations League. So they were in the space, right? They didn't just sort of uh, stumble upon you guys uh, and then went into this year. So... But what is their real remit? What were they doing before the partnership with you? Okay. So DDMC Wuhan is a, a publicly listed company in Shanghai. It's on the Shanghai stock market. And mm -hmm. all, all the details about the company are, are available there. It essentially has two main um, sides to the business. One is entertainment. The other is sports. Okay. On the entertainment side, it produces uh, a lot of scripted content um, in China, um, primarily for China. So they're mm -hmm. TV series and movies, and uh, that's very successful. They've actually got, I think, four or five very successful um, TV shows at the moment in, in China, and things are, things are going extremely well there. Mm -hmm. Obviously, uh, scripted content, we could talk about this some other time, but is obviously going through a huge um, boom at the moment, not yes. just in China, but globally. Yes. So they're very successful in, in, in that area. And then the second area is in sports. And in sports, obviously, that's the area where, where I, I work closely with them. But in sports, their primary vehicle now uh, is the was an acquisition of a company called Supersports. Right. And Supersports uh, is a Chinese um, media and sponsorship agency run by a gentleman called Mr. Yu. Mr. Yu is very well known in, 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 in the business, especially in China. And um, yes, Supersports was the agency that managed the Premier League rights for two terms um, recently, and uh, more laterally now is the partner for La Liga in China. Okay, it's a strategic partner for La Liga in China, and also manages the Euro for UEFA in China. So basically, a company that has expertise in acquiring international content. Um, packaging it for the local Chinese market, distributing it to other Chinese uh, media companies, uh, whether it's TV companies or digital companies, um, but also publishes itself. It has a actually a joint venture with ICE, which is the leading. Well, they yeah. call it the Netflix in China. Yeah. Um, so, so, um, so Supersports has a joint venture that covers uh, a sports digital uh, platform in China. So, essentially, if you like, we have our own platform in China, which is, of course, very, very useful, very important. So Super Sports is the, is, the, is the core entity, the sports entity, if you like, within the DDMC Wuhan family. Mm -hmm. And then the relationship between ourselves and, and DDMC Wuhan, um, how that came about was I, um, I essentially approached these people 
um, when it became clear that the AFC were going to um, were going to run a tender process and invited them uh, into a partnership. Um, and you know, I think they could definitely see that there was a, a great opportunity because you know, obviously, football is incredibly uh, powerful in Asia. It's also very powerful in China. So they saw that this was something that could be very, very powerful for them on a domestic basis, but would also give them an opportunity to also expand on an international basis. Mm. Um, and yeah, and I think, you know, what was what also featured very heavily in our conversation was looking at how some other Chinese companies had approached international expansion. And how some of them, not all of them, but some of them had stumbled and yep. um, sometimes stumbled very badly. Um, and we discussed that that maybe there is a better way to try and tackle the international market and that rather than acquiring an international agency for a very large amount of money and having management run essentially as soon as they could um, to perhaps look at a different way, which was bidding for you know, a big international property, but one that, that had a lot of appeal in China and in, in markets that were on the um, immediately outside China and to bid heavily for it so that you won. You know, that was that was definitely something that would, would have to be part of the plan. But that, that effectively over the course of eight or 10 years would give you much greater value than, as I say, going out and acquiring an international agency where, you know, you might lose value and balance sheet value very quickly. Yep, yep. And I all think right. that's very much proven to be the case. Yeah, interesting. Well, you know, and we all know you, you're referring to our friends from Wanda Group, uh, Wanda Sports, of course, and Infront and all the things they bought and uh, and even Le TV, which kind of went a different route, uh, just acquiring large rights within China and all that obviously went pear-shaped. So it's, uh, it, yeah, there, you know, your model is different. Um, the the proof is still in the pudding, which we'll come to in a minute, um, you know, of how successful, of course, you guys will be, that you have a tremendous platform, uh, which has huge opportunities for the next eight years, uh, as your rights are starting to kick off next year. Uh, there's no doubt about it, and it's an exciting time to be. And so I, that's where I really want to spend sort of our last maybe, you know, 15 minutes so on a bit um now, I, as I mentioned earlier, I have a little bit of a history when I first came to Hong Kong working for the group who at that time had acquired the rights uh, for the very first time ever. Um, they had done a deal with the AFC. And uh, at least what I remember, the number was around 20 million U.S. dollars for the four-year cycle. So I'd say 5 million U.S. Uh, a year, uh, which was a lot of money at that time. We're talking 1993 here, um, uh, you know, where at that time no one had given a penny basically to Asian football. Um, so, you know, Seamus took a big big risk there, and but it was well rewarded, obviously, over the years then, and, and um, even though it had different names attached to it down the line, uh, but uh, that agency, you know, and it has the rights still told today, um, and that's the one, obviously, you are superseding there. Um, now, the numbers which are now being thrown around, and again, I'll quote certain things I've read uh, in various industry magazines and papers, uh, is, uh, you know, on the lower end of scheme of things, about $2.4 billion for the eight years which you acquired. There's some numbers which are even bigger, which, you know, maybe let's start with at least the smallest number out there. Um, and that still makes it 300 million a year um, over the eight years, uh, you know, up from five. That's a huge jump. But at the same time, that's over 30 years. So it depends on, I guess, how we look at it, it is is tremendous growth in whichever way we want to look at it. Um, but uh, obviously, you guys believe there is more to it. There's more to come. And uh, and also, I think the the two point four is usual for what I've seen in previous deals. I've, I actually saw the contract of the one before, which was about six seven hundred billion, uh, six six seven hundred million. Sorry, billion. <laughs> We're getting the bees already mixed up here. Um, it was about six seven hundred billion a million in uh, in minimum guarantee at that time. But it was all the production was on top. So again, even the last con large contract last contract for the eight years uh, prior to this year which is currently still running, was all close to a billion probably by the time you're all done with, you know, the whole cost of running the show there. So um, there is a large other cost to it, and I'm certain your, your deal would be probably structured in a similar fashion. Um, what's the plan? I mean, first of all, please comment on any of the numbers if you like, but I know you've, you guys have been, uh, you know, obviously careful what you say there. Um, but also, you know, how are you planning to recover or make that money back? 
yeah. Okay. Well, look. Obviously, you'll you'll understand if I can't comment on the on the structure of the relationship uh, with the AFC because it's confidential. Absolutely. Um, so I can't I can't get into to commenting on 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 the numbers or anything like that. Um, yeah. I mean, look. We we did bid aggressively. Um, we bid aggressively because we we knew that in order to win these rights, um, we would have to bid aggressively. And the tender process was um, very competitive. Um, every major, I think without exception, every major international agency participated yes. in the tender process without without any exceptions, I think. Sure. Um, we did win by a, a clear margin. I think that that's well known. Yes. And um, we, we bid to win. Um, I've been involved. We skipped over some of the other... Uh, some of the other stuff that I did, for example, working in Latin America for a couple of years, but I was involved in some tender processes there, which I didn't win. Um, and it became very clear that <laughs> if you want to win the rights, you know, you do need to you need to pay a, a premium. You know, we, 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 call this, we, we call it the strategic premium, right? All right. Okay. Um, but the rationale for paying the premium, I guess, is tied back a little bit to what I mentioned earlier on about a bigger picture, wider plan, longer view, um, alternative way to access international, you know, the international industry. So there were there were actually very good reasons for for, for paying that premium. But the premium was paid. I would accept that. Hmm. Uh, what the premium is, I can't I can't comment on. No, no, that's um, fair but enough. having put all of that aside, I mean, what we've been doing now since since we won the tender process and we've been working very intensively with the AFC for the last two years is on you know delivering. Um, the things that we saw, the opportunity, delivering on the opportunities that we saw. And you mentioned some of them earlier on. Um, but they are quite unique in our industry now. I, I think it's important to point that out. I mean, number one, the, the, the term of the relationship is eight years, which is effectively a double commercial term. Yes. Um, it's quite, it's not, it's not usual or it's not common that, that you have those double terms available to, to agencies yeah. like us. Quite often they're single terms and quite often the terms are, say, three years rather than four. So hmm. the fact that we can um, work on this project for eight years uh, for two commercial terms is is worth paying a premium for. Okay. Mm -hmm. The second thing is that the the rights do the package of rights does contain both the national team rights and the club rights. Yep. And basically, you know, again, that's unusual. You know, UEFA separate these rights out. Comedy Ball would separate these rights out. So yes. that was also a very important thing that's worth paying paying a premium for. A very big part of it is is a belief, a real belief and confidence in the re in the in the region. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is is that we we have a vast region and we've got multiple um, vast regions within the region, right? We have yes. we have China, which uh, we which is just the most incredible opportunity. I think over the next 10, 10 and twenty years, we've got some very solid, mature markets like Korea and Japan. Yep. Um, may not may not experience you know wild growth, but are are very solid in terms of the money that they they generate, and they generate significant monies. Yep. Uh, Australia, you probably put in in a similar basket. We've then got India. You know, India is a market where football, you know, is way behind cricket, but it's still the second biggest sport and still has, you know, I think a, a decent um, five, ten percent share of the market. Let's put it like that. But it's it's, yeah. it's a huge market. Yeah. We've got the Middle East. You know, one of the fastest growing populations in the world is in the Middle East. We've got markets like Saudi Arabia, who are obviously now looking to really grow internationally. And to, to, to. so, I mean, I could go on and on. And yes. We haven't even touched on Indonesia and places like that. Correct. So the opportunities within within the, the region, I think, is what probably um, we believe in most in conjunction with the fact that this is football, this is a double term, this is national club. We believe that it's worth paying a premium. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and we and, still and, believe that. Yeah, and having been around this world, and again, obviously done a lot of stuff in football as well over the years, uh, football is the number one sport in the general sense, with the sort of exception we already touched on cricket in India and basketball in the Philippines or whatever. But uh, uh, yeah, so I have no doubt and I see what you're seeing there as well. Um, at the same time, and this is sort of where we're now getting into this, um, the world has changed dramatically and not just because of COVID, but even you, I think, made some comments already in, in some other publications that the media landscape is dramatically changing. It is, again, another era um, of digitization now. And that 
um, I think is bringing pain to the industry and uh, not, nothing to do with you with with your deal personal uh, directly but it's just in general right TV rights mm. are shrinking you know we see it even in home markets right the Premier League is making less money in the UK now um, so and that's where I when I look at your deal um, for with the premium you're paying and then you have these dynamics on the other side right where it isn't growing necessarily right now it is going backwards um, how do you guys look at this I mean does that kind of you know do you sometimes wake up in the you know in the middle of the night was a bit of sweat on your forehead or or are you fairly relaxed about that yeah well anyone who tells you uh that running a project like 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 the project that i'm extremely privileged to be to be running and um, doesn't wake up uh, sweating uh regularly like would be completely lying but yeah. it isn't always necessarily to do with whether facebook are going to come into the market or amazon it's not necessarily to do with that a lot of it's to do with actually other issues like delivery issues and stuff like that but right. to go to go back to your core point i mean look i think there's a few things i w- 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 again why did we what where did we really see the opportunity with these rights like what was you know what are the core things and then the question is have those things really changed right Mm -hmm. now one of the things that amazed me um, and I I mentioned this when I talked about leaving team and and starting my own business in Asia and what I was originally interested in doing I was originally interested in working in Asian local football because I'd seen the ratings Mm. Uh, and I'd seen the prices that are being paid for the contents. And of course I I. knew what, (laughs) yeah, and so have you. And and I've seen, I of course also saw the ratings of my own content, inverted commas, Champions League, and and I also knew how much I was being paid for that. And, you know, to be quite honest, these things were totally out of sync. They're totally out of sync. The the value... Correct. The, the ratings that something like the Indonesian League gets in Indonesia or in Malaysian League, you know, the, the, the ratings that 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 intention that that this content generates in the local markets is way, way, way bigger than the amount of money that it's generating. Right. OK, so from a very, very simple point of view, that's where we see the we saw the opportunity and we actually continue to see the opportunity. It's really comes down to two things, Marcus. One, local content. Local content, local content, local content. Anyone who's in the film or scripted entertainment business will tell you that local content always outdoes international content. That doesn't mean people don't want to see Star Wars and, you know, uh, Hollywood content, but local yeah. scripted content is much better. And in sports, yeah. it's not dissimilar. Of course, they want to see Manchester United in the Champions League, but they also want to see their own stuff, right? So right. for us, the opportunity was really in around um, essentially trying to build as much as we could using decentralization, using branding, using um, more progressive commercial concepts and lots of other things, but essentially delivering a much better local product for the media partners. Mm. And the second thing was value. Um, you know, the reality of the situation is, is that people like the Premier League um, and Champions League, my, my great ex-colleagues at team and Josh Smith at Premier League and these people who I've worked with over the years, I mean, the prices that they are asking for and generating are obviously very, very high. And that hasn't always been the case in terms of what was being generated with local content, right? So right. for us, it's, it's around going to the media companies and providing a really compelling offering, which is, look, if you want ratings and you want it in a time, zone, time zones that are good for you and, and featuring local heroes, you know, pay a bit more, you know, and yeah. it's still a lot less than what you're paying for the internet. And so far, to be honest, so far that that message has actually resonated very well. Um, I'm glad to say. And and so I think that our, our core um, approach um, has worked quite well. Now, the point you make about how the media market is evolving is a, is a different one. And um, yes, I mean, of course, I would completely um, accept that things are definitely evolving. There's no question about that. Um, does it mean that free-to-air, you know, the MNCs of the world uh, or you know, the media primas of the world are trashed? No, it doesn't. I don't think – I think that uh, that's not the case. Does it mean that their income is down from where it was before? Yes, I think that is definitely the case. Um, does that mean that they have more challenges in terms of affordability? Yes, I do believe that. But then what, what should they do? Should they buy great local content at a, an affordable price or should they load it into really expensive international content, which comes in the middle of the night and which is five times the price? And you know what I mean? Yeah. So I actually, I actually see some of the stuff that's happening in the media market as a really great opportunity for us 
and not just a challenge. Yeah. Um, no, I, but again, I, 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 I don't, I, I'm not. <laughs> so good. I'm not a denier, right? So I'm not trying to deny the fact that things are clearly changing, and also that we don't really know what direction they're going in. That's right. Yeah, and, and you know, in my 20 over years here, I, I, probably half the time we were selling international rights into Asia, so we're pitching this at the global global IP, and then you know the other 10 we've probably done a lot of local stuff. You know, we've been involved in Asian badminton and table tennis and so on, and and yeah, these are very different conversations, and we've been trying to convince or 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 educate the market in a similar way of what you're saying is that the local content should be. A is many times more relevant and or has better ratings, um, but doesn't it doesn't get the value right? And that is I you know where which you talked about earlier, and, uh, and I think that's still that's still an interesting journey, uh, and I would definitely wish you best of luck with it there. So because that's at the end mm. of the day what, what you guys are writing on now, um, we can't really stop uh, this this discussion without going a bit into digital and uh, you know and, and what are you maybe you guys are doing? Are you building your own OTT platform? Um, are you purely just looking at um, selling it off and then someone else will run this or what, what are your plans maybe in that space? Yeah, I mean, essentially what we're looking for before before even really thinking about OTT, I think what we're fundamentally looking at is number one, what's the relationship between AFC and its competitions and the fans, mm -hmm. you know? And how how is that best, is that content best um, balanced, distributed, shared, um, managed, uh, windowed um, in order to try and create the best possible audiences and have audiences that are, are you know, are satisfied. So, you know, we look at it from the point of view of what's the right way to essentially package package the content. And the reality is, is that that packaging needs to take into consideration, you know, a primarily or at the center of us, a broadcast partner who's prepared to pay, you know, a broadcast partner who wants to show the content uh, almost certainly on, uh, not just on traditional television, but also wants to show it on mobile and internet and who, who wants to be able to offer content to its viewers in that way. But then we need a complementary service, which is the AFC-owned services, which is mm -hmm. their their internet services, their mobile services, which we're managing uh, with them uh, cooperatively. Um, and then also you have other stakeholders like the clubs and the members associations who also um, have have a need and a right to to have access to some content as well. So basically what we need to do and what we've been doing is creating a very balanced approach to that. And um, and that's what we've done in our commercial concept. And we're now very far down the line in terms of actually marketing that commercial concept um, to the broadcasters where, where we've, we've done most of the deals already. So that, that, that balance, I think we've managed to achieve very well in this first cycle. Oh, fantastic. And how about yeah. sponsorship? Um, how do you, what's happening in that world? Again, you know, uh, sponsors always pull back yeah. in these kind of crises. Yeah. How, how do you no. see, what do you see happening here? Do you see well, that I coming mean, in? Yeah, I have a couple of few things. I mean, first of all, um, you know, what's really interesting is that our projects, um, uh, you know, something like the Champions League, you know, it's probably a 90-10 revenue split between sponsorship and media, right? Mm. So media is massively dominant yep. when it comes to something like the Champions League. I think the Premier League even more so, right? Mm. Whereas for us, we see the balance not necessarily being 50-50, but, but not as severe as 90-10, as, as right? So what that means is sponsorship is very important for a revenue stream. Number two, the advertising markets are definitely one of the most important parts of our if you like, model for the next 10, 10 years and hopefully beyond that. Right. And, of course, the advertising markets are growing pretty much in every country in Asia, you know, at a really, really impressive pace, okay? Yes. Um, the advertisers are also looking for this local content that I was talking about before. They're looking for touch points um, for in, inside Asia. As I say, I have a lot of experience marketing the international clubs in Asia yes. through things like the Champions League and also the International Champions Cup. But the things that sponsors always ask for is, you know, we want to be able to do this on a regular basis in our home territories. We want to be able to, you know, uh, touch these products. Yes. And, of course, you can't do that with international football in Asia. So, you know, again, I think we've got something really interesting to, to offer the market. Now, the other thing is that we're able to, we're very fortunate that we're able to take advantage of some changes in technology. Mm. Um, around virtual signage um, and we're, we're going to be doing that with our sponsor program we are doing that with our sponsor program and what that means is that we're able to crack 
or at least start to crack what I, I'm sure, Marcus, you know, is one of the the great challenges around the AFC program traditionally, and that is that its its greatest strength is traditionally has been somewhat of a weakness in the sense that it's 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 been a, a project that's been available to people right across Asia, but you know you you only have one set of advertising boards, yes. and they traditionally have been acquired by Japanese sponsors, right? So. Yep you're not able to customize and localize the sponsorship pro- program as much as you could. Now, given the developments in, in virtual advertising, we're going to be able to do that. And um, that has allowed us to effectively um, monetize revenue streams from from the big um, parts of Asia, Japan, obviously China being one, the, the Southeast Asia and, and the West. And so that has allowed us to just effectively have more inventory to sell. And awesome. be able to generate a lot more money. That's fantastic. And actually, I was going to ask that question, but you already answered it. So uh, that's Good. great to hear, and uh, and I'm I'm happy to hear that you go in that route because that, that makes complete sense, and, and that is something I would have uh, asked as well. Um, now, I, as a wrap up here, um, because I, I'm conscious of time here. Uh, We, you know, we have the Qatar World Cup coming up 2022, which, of course, is in Asia, even though, you know, it's in the Middle East, but it's part of the AFC. Uh, So the first, you know, the first, but, uh, you know, first one in in the Middle East, but uh, the second one in the AFC region. Uh, you know that's a big one, and it will help you guys, of course. Uh, you know, p- really putting Asian football on the ma- on the map. Then you have the uh, the Asian champ, Asian sorry, the Asian Cup in 2023 in China, which again, first time China hosting such a major football tournament, and I'm sure will be the prelude of them one day hosting the World Cup. Uh, what's the big plan there? Um, how are you guys going to leverage all this and 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 really make sure that the the whole world knows Asian football is here? Yeah, well, I mean, I think just in very in very broad terms, certainly the advertising community are very aware of the fact that football, um, particularly international football, is a great platform for them to start investing in with a view to creating an association for the next 10 years, right, for the very uh, reasons you mentioned. You know, the World Cup is going to is coming and that'll be followed very quickly by the Asian Cup in, in China in 2023. By the way, it wasn't uh, it, it wasn't guarantee that China would host that tournament when the tender took place right so for us this asian cup in china effectively you could argue you could say is somewhat of our home market you know this was really a bonus yeah it was really a bonus for us and i think that we're going to be able to monetize that for the afc better than 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 anybody else could but um but of course yes that is going to um you know china it's no secret that china has expressed its um its hope and its intention to to win further major international tournaments. You mentioned the World Cup, um, but there's also a lot of very exciting developments in the West. You know, um, I think Saudi Arabia is really interested in in staging major events in the future. Other parts of of Middle East too. So I think everywhere you look in the region, things are good. Uh, even Australia, right? Um, you yeah. know, the uh, the Women's World Cup is going to go there. So there's a huge interest in women's football. So you know, uh, lots of very positive things for us to look forward to over the course of the no. of the two terms. Well, even ASEAN has uh, put up their hands saying we want to host the World Cup, right? So uh, who knows? I think there are will be trying to compete with China, which I'm not sure that's such a smart move. But uh, there is a huge appetite. Football is huge. Uh, we touched on it early earlier in, in in our region here, and and I think that's a great way to sort of you know uh, uh, wrap this up. I mean, as I said, you are in a very sweet spot. You have incredible rights there for many years to go um you know the current crisis is what it is i think there is uh, nothing we can do none of us can do anything about it um you know there were some sort of stories about maybe we need some renegotiations of terms and the afc might have made some comments that you know everyone is kind of re-looking at things um you know any of that you can comment on any of this or uh, you know where is it uh, where you guys are just focused on now you know getting to and, and getting you know taking over the operation which what starts fe- January 1st 2021 or when when is it the actual first day of operation so to speak yeah I mean the the first matches will be the club competitions which are scheduled at the moment to start in in February and okay. so yes we've got we've got delivery just over the horizon and yes we are very very focused on that one of the things that I'm really proudest of, if I could say, is is just the fact that we've built, I think, an incredible agency team up here in Hong Kong. We've got uh, more than 70 people working for us right. full time at the moment and that we're also building some an incredible network of suppliers and subcontractors. 
and and actually that's the thing that I'm you know probably proud of most proudest of most because at the end of the day this is 100% a people business and 100% based success is 100% based on on those people performing and performing well and um, you know it's no mean feat to transfer a project like this from one agency to another um, you know that's a very very difficult thing I'd also like to pay great respect to Tom Smith um, at Lagadere he's, he's been absolutely brilliant Lagadere have been really really good Sport 5 I should say now yeah. um, but those guys have been absolutely um, very very professional I would say and um, awesome. so we're very 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 happy about that too and of course our colleagues at the at the at, at the AFC who are who are, are wonderful some of them ex-colleagues of yours as well we're yes, very much enjoying right. working with Connie um, <laughs> but also Andrew Rogers who we worked worked together with a team of course and uh, yeah um the relationships are really good, and um, I think we're, we're we're definitely ready to kick this thing off in early next year. Uh, looking forward to it, and, and you know, hopefully, we'll have a follow-up call on this year. Maybe somewhere next year, once it kicks off, and uh, your first sort of events are up and running, and you know, uh, check back in with you. And like you already said, Tom was an old colleague of mine in the AFC days when we first sat there in Hong Kong. Uh, he's been around that long, and I'm sure he's uh, be uh, feeling some pain giving up that baby. And of course, Connie, who spent 20 years with us and TSA hopefully will be there on the other side of the AFC side for you helping you out there as well so yeah. it's uh, it's a small community here in Asia that's for sure um I had a really good uh, one hour here, Patrick. I really enjoyed listening to you and hearing your, your thoughts and, and, of course, uh, your amazing career. So I wish you best of luck with everything, uh, especially there in Hong Kong. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll, our paths will cross uh, somewhere here very soon again. Thank you, Marcus. It's been a pleasure. Definitely. Cheers. The Sports Entrepreneurs by Marcus Luer Podcasts are a collection of interviews and stories. All content in this podcast is the copyright of Marcus Luer. Reproduction and distribution of the presentation without written permission of the owner is prohibited. All rights reserved.